is still just one Nazi in the cabinet. That seems as good a place as any to start this podcast. Hey, I'm Matt Waters uh, with Mike Thomas, who is in charge of Nazi Watch in the cabinet. And as you've heard, there's still just the one for now. Yeah, so this is the Real World Podcast, Tape Crusaders. We have hit The Dark Knight Rises, uh, a film that will prove to be quite discussion-worthy, a little bit controversial. But before we get into that, Mike, aside from reporting on Nazis, how actually are you as a human person? Nazis? Um, <laughs> it's... I'm, going, I'm, I'm doing well. I am enjoying uh, teaching at the moment, and uh, I really enjoy diving into the Nolan trilogy, I think... While X-Men is more consistent from their first film to their last film, if I had to pick one trilogy that I really, really enjoy beginning to end, it is hard to beat the Nolan Batman trilogy. Yeah. Uh, is, is there a better third film in a trilogy than this one? Ooh. That's that's tough. Yeah. Just I mean, the bar and, uh, isn't high. We, we, we probably <laughs> just lost, like, 50 listeners out of 51 uh, just by saying that this movie we were referring to this movie in a positive manner in the first place i'm not a big fan of alien 3 no. um born ultimatum, born ultimatum oh shit there you go that's that's yeah, a born born trilogy but i i after rewatching the born trilogy last summer i kind of came to the conclusion i think ultimatum's the best from beginning to end so ah, of the three of them no. so you're wrong so yeah i know it's all right you're wrong about it, daddy it's okay i look um, forward to our born podcast <laughs> The Born Redundancy. Yeah. Uh, oh, shit, yeah. that's a good name. Nah, Matt Damon came up with it. I oh. Well, is he available? Can he replace you on the podcast? Yes. Okay, yes, cool. yes, he can. You sort that out. He's um, a... It'll be me and Matt Damon. Oh, it'll be weird, though, because we'll both be called Matt. He's like one more dumb comment away about race in Hollywood from getting, like, you know. He's, just, he's like two steps away. He's not one step away, but he's yeah. like two steps away. Almost living up to his Team America uh, impression. Um, the Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, yes. A good film that is not as good as the other two. I would describe it as a film that if anyone said they hate it, I would not try to argue against them. Mm-hmm. I would never try to convince somebody that it's good if they don't think it's good, just for the sheer fact there are so many things dumb and wrong about it. Yes. That, if anything, I'm almost embarrassed to go to bat for it, despite the fact that after watching it about a dozen times, I've convinced myself that I like it. <laughs> ah, good. That's how you know. <laughs> That's how you really know it's a good movie. Um, I, I'm not even convinced that it's a good movie, but there are so many elements about it that I enjoy. There, there's so much ambition about it that I appreciate. Uh, it concluded the trilogy. I think we both said, and it's not a uncommon opinion that it concluded the trilogy more effectively than being a successful film in its own right and uh you know that that closing montage gives me warm feelings so you know and you're dead inside so that says a lot. i am yeah. yeah i swear i'm not a contrarian many people will tell you i am but if anyone were to say this film was good i would immediately launch into a tirade about what's wrong with it but also, I think if someone just immediately started tearing it apart, I might say, well, there are some good things in it. So maybe I am just that annoying person who disagrees just to disagree. Uh, or maybe it's just for the sake of this podcast uh, and trying to view it objectively, I've come to see it in a more positive light. Because I've spent the last however many years essentially practicing a monologue about what is wrong with this film. Uh, and yeah. now I'm like, you know what? It, it's okay. It's it's even it's even decent. It's it, it flirts with being good. I think the biggest issue it has is that it 
follow the Dark Knight. Um, there is that. And it was easier to dismiss when it followed things that were so unbelievably popular and beloved. Sure. But I think there is also... There's less care taken over the storytelling in my Oh, opinion. yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, like I'm not saying Nolan isn't interested because clearly he's directing the crap out of it. There's so many scenes, like, from the, from the opening dumb, but in a good way, plane scene, the Bane fight, the football stadium, like, so much, so many, like, beautifully shot scenes. But just when it comes to taking care of the narrative and that kind of... Thing, it feels like he isn't as interested as he once was uh, and as we've talked about as I, or at least I've talked about uh, it just seems to me these are things no one doesn't particularly care about like <laughs> plot holes do not concern him uh, sense of time does not concern him and uh, but this one's really plot holy yes yes but it, like I mean, it, Dark Knight has some serious plot holes. This one is just nothing but this is, the whole thing is almost a giant plot hole. Yeah, as we've seen with Inception, with, as we've seen with Interstellar, he goes. I, it seems like no one's going for the bigger moments now, and it's less concerned with the details. Yeah, because I think Batman it's, Begins is a very is a very tight production. Like it is, and um, there's definitely some a, might say the uh, best of the three. Yeah. I, I, it's frustrating for me as a fan of his work because it's so easy to dismiss him due to these issues with his with the storytelling right now. And it, it, I get, like I said, it's just frustrating because it's like I don't want to do the work to defend him. <laughs> like basically at this point, I don't know. I Which still, kind I of still feel but... I, I don't actually know what he's got coming next. Has he done anything since Inception? Dunkirk. Oh, okay. Hmm, that's, a World War II film. So that, that's probably either going to appeal or it isn't. I personally don't really care for war films, no matter how objectively good they are. But I still feel he is a filmmaker that when one of his comes out, everyone pays attention. Oh yeah, but I. Oh, that's not. What I'm, I'm saying if anything, it's just more like I want to. You want to believe in Chris Nolan. Basically. Like I, how like Bruce said, wants yeah. to believe in Harvey Dent. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I I feel like he's just, he needs to be a little, exert a little more quality control with the yeah. script right now. Yes. And that is very true of this film. Speaking of films without quality control in their scripting, <laughs> The Dark Knight Rises. There you go. So this film, released in July 2012, so a four-year gap after The Dark Knight. And there was some hesitation, again, over coming back. Uh, Bale, as well as Nolan this time, uh, seemed quite hesitant to return for a third film. Uh, the studio were pushing for uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to play the Riddler in an attempt to capitalise on the popularity of the Joker. Uh, Nolan, quite rightly, was like, no. <laughs> so uh, he wanted a more physical villain, David Goya, says, hey, how about Bane? And uh, to many people, I think including Mike Thomas, uh, what they thought of was a ridiculous cartoon-style Bane from Batman and Robin. Uh, And Nolan was like, no, but Goya managed to say, hey, maybe come look at these comics where he's not ridiculous. Uh, And that's where we ended up. And it is loosely based on Nightfall, with Bane breaking Batman's back. Uh, no Man's Land, which is an isolated Gotham overrun by gangs, and a little bit of Dark Knight Returns, which is an older Batman coming out of retirement. And the thing you will hear the most is, it's a tale of two cities, guys. It's the French Revolution, but Gotham. 
did you know that Bane is knitting a parachute rope in many scenes? Ah, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's another huge marketing campaign. And it actually made more money than The Dark Knight, but that's... We talked about this last time. There's kind of a staggered effect with these things where when a thing is popular, the next one will actually probably make more money, even if it's not as good. Yeah, and it also it will it will open in more places yes. and do bigger business initially, which will allow it to have more money total, but it doesn't necessarily have the staying power as something like The Dark Knight did. Much, much bigger budget. $230 million. I don't remember offhand the budget for Dark Knight Rises, but it was like two, eight, uh, 180, 175, something like that. And gross just over a billion, uh, almost $1.1 billion. So a little bit more than the Dark Knight. Uh, but it costs more, so hey. Uh, same director, Chris Nolan. Same writers, Chris and Jonathan Nolan, with David Goya consulting, as he often does. And it is very long. It is 2 hours, 44 minutes, but... You know, all these runtimes include credits, so two and a half hours probably. And to me, it feels very long. Uh, Mike, you, you you described it as fun. I don't know I would call it fun. I think it is a film that contains fun, but it doesn't strike... Like, that's not a word I would reach for. I wouldn't say it feels long. It feels rushed, which meant I was never bored, but I've always wanted more, oddly enough, from this. But I think that's not an issue. I'm not saying I want a four-hour movie. I'm saying they had a four-hour mm. story hold in two hours and 45 minutes do you think and, a uh, director with less maybe not clout but a little bit less backbone gets bullied into making this a part one part two scenario where maybe you end part <sighs> one with bruce having a broken back and then part two kicks off with an occupied gotham it would be interesting though wouldn't it it Just would to, it would i mean I, go... I hate that practice but there are two um, films there at least <laughs> This feels more like a four-hour miniseries. Are, you, are we saying this is the HBO Batman show I've been looking for? I, I, I honestly, not well. It's not the one you've been looking for, based on what you describe you're looking for. But no. it's this would have worked better as a miniseries than as a movie. Yes. Um, they just they went for too much, and I don't. And there's not a lot in here I dislike actively. It's all good stuff. There's just too much of it. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, so it's it's hard for me to take anything away from it. Like I, I don't want like Blake gone. I don't want Catwoman gone. I don't want Bane gone. Obviously. Yeah. Um, well, what they did was they they craftily disguised a Robin film and a Catwoman film inside of another of, a, of an actual Batman film. Like they kind of made yeah. three films. Yeah, and uh, they did something that I thought was impossible, which is they made a compelling Robin story. <laughs> I, it's the best constructed Robin's ever been, at least on the big screen. Yes. Um, possibly on the small screen too. Uh, Although yeah, I did maybe. like night, I did like Nightwing in the animated series, but I also, I think seen that's enough of more it. what they're going for here. Like, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen enough of the Nightwing to even really compare it. Um, pretty cool. I did like the Dick Grayson portrayal and red hood, but I also haven't seen that in a long time. So it wouldn't, you're going to again soon, it. buddy. <laughs> I know. I'm very excited. Matt Waters is on record saying it's his favorite Batman film. So look okay. forward to me eating okay. a hat while recording a podcast. And then it's also the best portrayal of Catwoman that I've seen. Oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> you don't think of Anne Hathaway being Catwoman as... Like, that doesn't go hand in hand, but she kind of nails it from uh, everything I could tell. Yeah. Gordon, Gordon, I mean, Oldman's obviously great. Tom Hardy brought life to a character that I didn't think had life. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so much good in it, and I like I I know you are very down on 
bail in the last two movies, or at least the, some of the decisions they made. But I think, um, once again, he was game, and he did a lot of things well. And I think I think his his journey was interesting, again. It's not him. Um, the only the only issue I have with him is the is the Batman voice getting increasingly ridiculous. It's it's the treatment of Bruce within the narrative is my issue. We'll get into that obviously deeply, but uh, I don't. I, I like almost every element of this movie. So many details along the way, though, hold it back and make it something you have to discuss with a uh, the caveat of, well, this could have been better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and also just the way people talk about things in modern society where like everything is either the best or the worst people will use words like bad with this film it's a good fit like it's stuffed full of amazing actors giving good performances uh some of them great performances beautifully shot and edited well mostly well edited uh great sound you know all that it is objectively a good film it's just when we're when the scale we have uh, includes the dark knight and batman begins it's easy to throw out words like bad enormous asterisk at the top of all of this when i am going to be negative about this as we go i still want everyone to remember i still think this is a good film it's just worse i don't actually think it's objectively good i i think especially the first half of the movie as you've talked about or as we talked about private is so choppy that i can almost see an argument for i can i think there's more of an argument for it being objectively negative than objectively positive wow i think if anything, I'm choosing to look past those things and well, emphasize it, the positive. It's objectively a lot better than anything Tim Burton did. <laughs> well, I, I mean, from our perspective, like from my perspective, almost anything is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I personally think it's better than. I mean, there's probably only a handful of comic book movies that I would put above it, but um, mm. I think that's more of an issue with those movies and less yeah. of a inherent objective quality to this film. Fair enough. Um, uh, so this film. Um, I've mentioned its many influences and things it's based on, but what's it actually about, I hear one of you ask. Why would you ask what it's about? Why are you listening to this podcast if you haven't seen these films? Anyway, so it's been eight years since Harvey Dent died. Bruce Wayne has hidden away in his mansion, given up his life as Batman and as Bruce Wayne, but he's drawn back to both of these lives when Selina Kyle, aka Catwoman, steals his fingerprints as part of some big scheme. And following that lead, it brings him into the path of the mercenary Bane, who has been plotting the city's downfall. Uh, He bankrupts Bruce using these stolen fingerprints. And then when uh, he confronts him as Batman, gets his ass kicked. Uh, Bane breaks his back and dumps him in a remote prison, leaving him to watch Gotham's destruction on a monitor. He then traps almost every cop in the city underground, destroys the bridges off the island, breaks the inmates out of Blackgate, incites an uprising by revealing the truth behind the lies involving Harvey, and he holds the city to ransom with a nuclear device, which someone calls an atom bomb, because they're old. Bruce recovers over several months and manages an incredibly improbable escape from the prison, somehow returns to Gotham, frees Jim Gordon and the police, and they have a massive fight with Bane and his people. Uh, Bruce appears to be defeated after he's betrayed by his business partner and lover, Miranda Tate, who is revealed to actually be Talia al Ghul. Does that name sound familiar? Yes, he's Ra's al Ghul's daughter, or Ra's al Ghul's uh, daughter. Father, that'd be weird. (laughs) But Selina intervenes and kills Bane, passing up on an opportunity to leave the city. Batman finds the bomb, flies out of the city, and apparently dies in the explosion. 
but he does save Gotham. But uh, Alfred spots Bruce and Selina together at a restaurant in Italy sometime later, very happy, very alive. Some people think that that's a fantasy sequence. It's not. That's real. Meanwhile, one of Bruce and Gordon's allies throughout the film, who I haven't mentioned because that would make this much longer, John Blake, real name Robin, is left the location of the Batcave and Bruce's will, and our film closes with him seeing the Batsuit and all the cool toys he can use to become Nightwing or Batman or whatever he wants to be. See, I told you I could make that quicker than previous ones, even though more is going on. Absolutely. By just omitting half of the plot points. Yeah. That's why I, I lost focus for a second, all of a sudden you were, done, you were done, and I was very confused. So, so, what to talk about first? I don't think Comics. there's any way of getting around the plot holes. I, I'm fine with that. Do you have a list? I do have a list. Uh, um, let's hear it. We can do this in the form of a game again, where I can pose these questions and you can see if you and can bullshit an answer. Okay. Uh, how would people seriously not put together the identical disappearances of Bruce and Batman for eight years on almost the same night and return on the exact same night? And then both of them die at the end of the film. Bruce did not go away right away because he was building his free energy thing, Majigger, and that eventually it was more of a slow trickle away for Bruce Wayne instead of an instant trick, uh, instant disappearance of Batman. Not right away, but still many, many years. Pretty close. Pretty close. He's. It seems at least if it's eight years, that was ten. But if eight, um, it, I would say at least four to five years he's disappeared based on what. Okay. If we give him but, as many as four to five years, then all right, I'll, I'll take that. Although they do return on the same night and both die at the end. Although, yeah. admittedly, many people in Gotham die at the end, so, you know. And admittedly, many people are fucking dumb. <laughs> That's true. I don't know how you wouldn't guess. Anyway. Okay, fine, we'll give you that one. One point to Mike. Uh, how does Gordon get so injured uh, when he's captured by Bane's men and then he you know, ends up in the hospital. Is it the ride through the sewers? Is it smoke inhalation from a gas explosion? Because he seems, you know, physically beaten down, but with it, and then suddenly he's basically on a fucking respirator in the hospital. Well, the respiratory problems that would come from being part of a rushing water where you're struggling to breathe and after just being knocked unconscious in the first place, possible contusions to the head, uh, from the fall down the sewer as well, and then once the adrenaline from having to defend himself kicks in, and he, uh, yeah, it springs him back into a more, you know, able-bodied mm-hmm. position, and yeah. that allows him the time to recover the six months where Gotham is occupied. Yeah, I, I, I forgot about your medical degree. That's two points to Mike Thomas. Okay, in what universe would that many of the city's cops head down into the sewers to get Bane? Uh, dumb universe with dumb cops and dumb politicians. Gotham City, baby. Are half-lives on nuclear cores calculable to the exact second which would facilitate a ticking clock? Because yes. that's that's what's happening here. It's not a bomb that goes off when that timer runs out. It's that it's decaying and will become unstable to the point of explosion in, in five months. But they yes. managed to put it down to a clock. You're saying, yes, it is yes. possible to calculate to the exact second. Yes. That may be true, I'm no physicist. What is the point in the Trigger Man plot point? He's an enormous masked mercenary surrounded by armed guards and all the cops are underground. Like, surely sh- surely if anyone comes near him and he does have the bomb, he triggers it. Like, I don't see... What what was the point in that plot? So, basically... That a random uh, Bane... person in Gotham has, has the trigger and will blow it if they do anything to Bane. Part of uh, Bane's plan to poison Gotham with hope 
is to convince them that he's not the one running the show, just like the one he's not the one running the court, uh, the kangaroo court. He did, or he did bring out the, each nuclear bomb uh, and then kill the only person capable of disarming it. Excuse me, Matthew, I'm speaking. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, Michael. Uh, th- this, is, this is the people's revolution. He, give, he gave this opportunity to the people and they will decide. Uh, he is giving this back to the people. It's their revolution. It's not his revolution. And, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, know, he incited all of it. It's not particularly. It's. It might not be particularly clear to literally every single person there. And this was actually a pretty dumb one, just because it led to a lot of unnecessary dialogue. And I think it. I think it was really just done for that shocking reveal of Talia Ra, uh, Al Ghul mm-hmm. that uh, she had it all along. I. I think it just, it was probably one of those ideas that sounded better on paper yeah, than like, it oh, was an execution. <gasps> no one will see it as Miranda, even though we've basically set it up from quite a long time ago, because they have identical scars. Yeah, and I think the bigger, with the issue, like, they wanted that line, like, like I am a citizen, but I'm not, or ordinary, or whatever it was. I think they thought that would be, like, this killer line or something, mm. but it, it wasn't. Is it, um, like, is it the, uh, you know what happens when, to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? of this film is that what you're saying not quite as bad it was a miscalculation to say please okay so what is day-to-day life like in gotham during those five months like we see rich people being thrown out of their homes we see poor people playing around in their houses but what else is happening we know they're getting food in and whatnot but are these people going to jobs are they are they just all spending time with their families is that what what's happening in gotham well, the majority of people are still going about their everyday lives, but the uh, the the rich have been removed from their perch. Um, the from their high towers. Yes. 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 They're they're faulty towers. Don't don't you dare invoke that with me, sir. It's a sacred uh, text you are name dropping. Um, what if we just turn this podcast into a faulty cap towers rewatch? We can um, do that. <laughs> Fuck you, Firefly. <laughs> um, Spoilers, bro. And they are, for the most part, going about their daily lives. But, uh, you know, people are running scared. People are hiding, for the most part. They're, what's the term? Hankering down? Hunkering down? One of those, yeah. Anyway, they're doing something down. And they are mostly just gathering, keeping supplies, trying to stay alive. Mm. And then the, the chaos that's come from the revolution. So, moving to the prison, this remote prison... Yeah. I mean, we can see there's a rope that they use so that when they fall, they don't die. Uh, Supposedly. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, you can see that there's quite a large ledge, the one that is jumped from nearer the top. Could you not either pull that rope down, climb up to that ledge, and then use the rope to get the rest of the way? Or get more than one person up to that larger ledge and then f- form some sort of human ladder or pyramid? Because based on the height of it, it's like four, maybe five men high. I think the bigger issue here is that uh, it's an issue of jumping uh, strategy. Uh, and they're they're doing what's known as the, the broad jump. That What they need to do is that running jump or the triple jump that the Olympians do. Uh, they would get far more distance if they actually got themselves a running start instead of just doing a standing jump. Yeah, they all uh, do that, and it's a really dumb move. It's like, you have got no uh, momentum. That is not an accurate way to jump. Yeah, so it, it's really, it's, it's the prison has its faults, but for people who do not know how to jump properly, uh, they're locked down there pretty good. Sure. When Bane says he didn't see the sun until he was a man... It was a metaphor. Okay. 
It's just because I mean the sun is right. Right. It's, right me- it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Can you explain Men, a metaphor me- me- for me? Me- uh, a metaphor is. Uh, to... What's that quote? It's like when a thing is disguised as another thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just like Bane. Uh, <laughs> another metaphor. Bane himself is a metaphor. He is. Okay, how did Bruce get back to Gotham with no resources, no money, as we've established he's bankrupt, and I don't think he's carrying cash on him in that prison, and he's clearly in a completely different country? Yeah, the the rich don't go broke like the rest of us, Matthew. Uh, you know, Can Bruce you explain Wayne, that from place to place. in a real way that isn't just a catchphrase? Well, you know, he obviously has resources and connections all over the world, and he found a way to smuggle himself into uh, a city that was on complete lockdown. Sure, okay. Uh, how did Bruce take out the guard when the police are being, uh, including Jim Gordon, are being walked out onto yeah. the ice? There are guards yes. behind them. Uh, clearly, they take little tiny bat-shaped dart-type things to the back of the neck. Uh, yeah. So Batman is behind them, and then Batman is in front of them on a wide-open plane of ice, and none of them notice him walk up in front of them. How did that happen? Ninja. Ninja. Okay. Uh, did Bruce genuinely take the time to create a uh, trail of of some kind of flammable liquid leading up to a, a bat symbol on the bridge when literally every second minute an hour counts as they are awaiting an enormous nuclear explosion? Uh, theatricality is a huge part of being a ninja, Matthew. And, uh, <laughs> These are our theatric- weapons. Theatricality can inspire people in a way that... Powerful not, tools yeah, to the not uninitiated, the- but we're not uninitiated, are we? Not theatricality is uh, not quite the same thing. Uh, you want to be theatrical as a ninja. Okay. Uh, and finally, uh, there's probably more. This is just offhand. Uh, how safe is it to fire missiles at a truck carrying an explosive nuclear core or for it to fall off an overpass? It's incredibly safe. Incredibly uh, yeah, safe. That truck, the, the trucks, the mentions there, uh, the bomb was not in real danger at that point um, yeah. I mean you've already yeah. established yourself as an expert in nuclear physics so I, I don't doubt your credibility uh, it's, in, it's incredibly safe uh, did, you, did you have any plot points you wanted to offer up aside from those I've already explained them all away in my head so I don't need to that's uh, fine That's fine then. Um, so this has been another episode of the Tape Crusaders uh, best film ever, <laughs> bulletproof except for a straight shot I think what we have to start with is Bruce Bruce this story because Bruce's journey is a, in a lot of ways, a bizarre journey for the, a superhero to take in a film, big budget film, big stakes film, even more so. Uh, he is at a uh, Howard Hughes level point of mental uh, mental health deterioration. Mm-hmm. He is holed up in his mansion, only in his room. It seems like. He is not like he. It seems like he is barely interacting with anyone, including Alfred. Given all the conversation Alfred seems to be finally deciding to have with him, <laughs> yes, that he's apparently been saving for the last four to five years, potentially. I feel when people suffer years. from emotional trauma, it's best to wait eight years before you try and help them with it. Yeah, in that time, Bruce has stopped physically taking care of himself. He's noticeably dropped a ton of weight. Yes. Uh, his approximate 12 months of being Batman has left him in a near crippled state. Uh, It looks like he never got help for that fall from the 250 52nd Street. That's a palindrome. And his his knee is is in bad shape. He has taken up archery, though. 
It's good to have hobbies. It is. Mind active. It is. He's taken up. He has taken up archery, and it is not at all, you know, a bad thing. He's taken up archery. It's fine. Uh, yeah. The uh, first step towards hunting people. Yes. Basically, uh, Catwoman robbing his his mother's necklace kind of lights a spark in him mm-hmm. uh, because I think what we discover is the tragedy of Bruce Wayne is that uh, he will he does need bat he almost needs Batman more than Gotham needs Batman yes. and especially at this point in time period and you can see once he realizes that Catwoman was not just after his necklace after the necklace he was after, she was after his fingerprints something in him is like ha well he likes puzzles he's addicted to Vicodin he walks with a cane Gregory House is a complicated man his life has renewed meaning and that leads to a clear conflict with Alfred one of a of excitement that Bruce is getting up but then he's clearly at the same time wary of what Bruce is going to do now the big thing with Bruce is that Gotham City is now at a point where they have great potential to succeed and they desperately need Bruce Wayne, billionaire philanthropist, to help them get there. But he has not done that, so there hasn't been that guiding hand to push Gotham in the right direction. And Gotham seems to resemble a uh, a 90s America, perhaps. As, One, as someone who didn't live in America at any point, especially the 90s, no. I don't know what that's like. I, I think the time that is considered to be economically solid, economic, like uh, people doing well economically, crime rates going down. I think especially New York City is a good example. It's, a, yeah. it's a probably a pretty accurate comparison. Uh, I'm not. I, I won't pretend to be an expert on this or any way. So though, if someone wanted to tweet or email or Facebook explaining a little bit more nuance, that'd be great. If you but, could tell uh, me how it isn't like uh, f- the TV show Friends portrayed it to be. Uh, especially that would be good anyone listening yeah but uh it's at this point now where gotham has seemingly recovered but its recovery is more from the top down Mm -hmm. and uh, i think a real key thing in this film is the uh the boys home which has been neglected by bruce and is now churning out people early in the program earlier than they're supposed to because they can't afford to keep moving and the story coming out there is that people are going to the sewers to find work. There's work in the sewers. Now there's a and plot think, point that could easily have been stretched out. Yeah, I think, and I think when you talk about, I mean, I think there's honestly like a six hour story in here that could be brilliant. And that would be a significant part of it. Uh, especially getting the perspective of someone who was in Bane's army. But uh, anyway, to get back a little bit closer, I think this idea is that Gotham is at this point now where everything appears fine, but they've been neglecting the lower class this whole time much like most of america at this point it was probably one of those things where the barbell effect financially where the top five percent was probably getting very rich but the the poor the lower class the under uh the lower middle class was the middle class essentially shrinking and the poor were getting poorer and more people were becoming poor and it became hard to find work. And when people don't have work, when people don't have jobs, they are vulnerable to strong men, authoritarian leaders coming in and explaining to them they've been completely fucked over by the rich. He did have a very uh, nice coat, to be fair. Yes. Um, I'd, I'd follow a man with a very nice coat. Uh, 
Yeah. Plus, he sounds like what you think Ash Jeeves sounds like, so that's pretty cool. And I, it's what's interesting to me is that at the time, a lot of people, including my girlfriend, saw this story as kind of like right wing propaganda. Yeah, it, it came out right around the time of Occupy Wall Street, didn't it? Yeah. And it seemed to be, uh, and I'm going to be following up with this on an article I'm writing for uh, Enter the Real World, but uh, it seemed that Bain was kind of co-opting Occupy Wall Street rhetoric and kind of proving how hollow it was and basically making a mockery of it in a lot of ways, making a mockery of the rising populist socialist movement. I don't know if those two terms are completely contradictory or not but oh well it, it, it Bain seemed like a parody of what those people were complaining about and basically it seemed like a warning to the to the rich people uh stop uh better get your shit together otherwise the poor people are going to come and kill you and that seemed kind of ridiculous at the time it seemed very condescending and insulting <laughs> and then four years later it fucking happened yes uh, <laughs> Like it's a crude metaphor and certainly a very flawed metaphor considering how pro-police, how pro-institution this movie is at its heart, which is very weird for a Batman movie. It's this idea, as I see it as like the rich in this movie and the rich in Gotham are kind of like the rich neoliberal Democrats that, that kind of didn't, that cooked their eye off the ball and didn't realize how many people have been abandoned in their city. Because the Democrats in their country, and you're saying Hillary doesn't care about normal everyday Americans. Oh well, actually, I'm not saying that. I actually don't <laughs> think that's true. But what I'm saying is that they weren't presenting uh, in Democrats' case, they just weren't presenting a message that no. would appeal to people, and they predictably, or what should have been predictably, lost as a result. And meanwhile, someone who's pointing that out, it just takes a little a tip, and all of a sudden, madness is like gravity, Matt. Oh, well, it needs a little push. Um, it's all connected. It rhymes. Uh, Chris Nolan has been writing life for the last uh, almost a decade. Yeah, and um, and then obviously the citizens of Gotham. While obviously the great majority of them do not share the vision that Bane has put forth, it just takes a loud enough minority to kind of to either the people are either standing back and letting it happen or they're participating in it. At the time, that did seem like right-wing propaganda to me, and I was disappointed. Um, at this point, no, it seems... <laughs> I don't know, it seems more like uh, poor people want fucking jobs, and when they don't have fucking jobs, they get fucking angry and do dumb fucking irrational shit. That doesn't seem that ridiculous to me anymore. <laughs> I can confirm I this. Know. I'm a poor person who wants a job, and I, I'm so dumb, I co-host a film podcast ah, from across the atlantic yeah. so uh, you know let this be a lesson to you rich people yeah, we're coming for you i think at the time when it came out i did not have an appreciation for that kind of scenario that scenario seemed childish and immature to see a similar scenario play out in real life makes me rethink it that's not to say that dark knight rises is this wonderful metaphor for what happens in that situation because the metaphor is very fucked up, and I don't think its conclusion really kind of fails. And uh, But uh, I think that concept that a lot of the film is based on, which seemed ridiculous to me at the time, now is at least, at the very least, way more interesting. Yes. I mean, to gloss over details immensely 
history repeats itself. This is based on something that is about the French Revolution. Blah blah blah. But I it, yeah, it, Robespierre. Yeah. Robespierre. That's that's what I know about the French Revolution. Robespierre. There you go. Um, Incredible. I I do like uh, Alfred sort of pushing up Bruce, saying. Gotham needs you, not yeah. Batman. It needs your resources, your knowledge. Yeah. Your... It's interesting because, I mean, every depiction of Batman, it's like Batman is his whole career. He will always be Batman. We will tell you a million stories about Batman. And these films yeah. are presenting it as, you know, realistically, how long could you be Batman? And they're saying you could be Batman for a year. And it seems more realistic to be given up, even though we talked yes. about how it didn't fit him character-wise to give it up that easily. But it is interesting that such a compelling argument can be made for it being such like a passing fancy in his life, where he can do great goods across decades as Bruce Wayne, uh, but his effectiveness as Batman is limited. And combining that with um, this notion that Bruce Wayne is mentally unhinged and yes. a bit suicidal. Yeah. Well, he's um, stuck as a child, like really. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's become a bit deluded in his broken state, yeah. mentally and physically. And, and, and he's frozen in this moment in time from when Rachel died. Um, yes. Like, getting Joker and whatnot sort of pushed him on that a little bit further, but as soon as that was dealt with, and once he assumed the role of villain and was able to, I guess, sit back and process, he, he couldn't. Like, he's he's just stuck. Like, he... The only life he ever envisioned as Bruce was with Rachel. He isn't aware that she'd actually wanted to move on. That was his prize at the end or whatever. And without that, and now seemingly without Batman, he's got nothing. In, in Batman Begins, you see what a wreck he is as Bruce. Like when he's got his gun up his sleeve and, you know, he's rude to Alfred. And, you know, it's clearly a man that doesn't have a huge amount to live for. <laughs> The, the deluded nature of him is kind of interesting, even if it's not very heroic. I think it's, uh, mm. I'm fine with that. I think it's okay that he's not heroic in the story. I think it's okay that Bruce Wayne shouldn't really be seen as a hero at this point. Yeah. And that um, really his rise at the end is kind of just like his make good with Batman. I mean, with uh, Gotham. Yeah. Um, I mean, like it... he kind of, he, he abandoned Gotham basically. Yeah. Like that's, he, that's a common he, thing. Like Batman, he saves people and does things that could be construed as heroic, but he isn't a hero, really. No. Like his motivations, like broadly, he hates crime. He doesn't want. He wants to stamp out injustice, but he's not truly altruistic. You know, like he isn't. He isn't a white knight. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, he and... he sees it as a fight against crime. He doesn't see it as a mission to make things good also with his complete failure of his the, of what he and gordon seemingly and i guess along with the mayor conspired for what justice would look like in gotham not just based on a lie but as that i kind of don't really care about i, mean, I don't think yeah, that... i think there's there's limits to how bad that decision was the real bad though is that rec not recognizing that just imprisoning all your criminals with no sense of restorative justice with no sense of how do we build from the, like how do we fix this because that lacks an understanding of crime and criminality which is something bruce kind of forgetting that is kind of poetically it's kind of, it's kind of poetic he forgot mm -hmm. that and he abandoned his city and 
now he uh, the city is kind of paying for his sins in some ways that I think go beyond just lying about Harvey Dent. It's obviously the Spider-Man quote: "With great power comes great responsibility." <laughs> but like, would he kind of have this moment to to save the city, and his actions instead kind of allowed he opened the door for both a good and negative element in his city. It's not heavily touched upon in the films, but the idea that his mother was big into sort of social programs and helping underprivileged people, you know, these are the things that do have an impact long-term on that kind of thing. And instead he's, you know, he's been Batman almost for too long, even though it's only been a year that he's kind of lost track of that. And he's dealing far too much in black and white shades. And the notion that he essentially abandoned his city after uh, the Joker is something he has to make good on. And I think that's basically the story they're telling here, is that in his ego, in his grief, he kind of let a, a, a rich class of people kind of take for themselves. And that's often what happens when... Uh, city community whatever is recovering um and as we saw happen in america um quite frankly and he paid for his crimes physically by being broken by bane sure did and (laughs) and when he's at his lowest moment he realizes how badly he fucked up and how desperately he needs to at least fix that he uh and make up for a couple other things along the way and in that he kind of his journey after that kind of allows him to redeem Gordon. Allows Gordon our chance to be part of the city. Gives Batman, I mean, gives Gotham a new Batman um, and Blake. And basically, and I that moment where he makes the Wayne whatever Wayne Manor into a for orphans, a sweet little moment there. Yeah, I forgot that. That is, that is a really nice touch at the end. Kind of just a symbolic kind of him being acknowledging that he fucked up and the last resources from his family should go to something more than his ego. I like the, the, uh, the notion of a small puzzle in why did Catwoman break in and who is she sort of coaxed him out, but then his sort of talking to from Blake uh, and maybe a little bit of Alfred needling him. I don't know. uh, That kind of fully gets him back into action unaware that he's you know physically past his prime right he thinks he will be bane uh but i like that that sense of guilt about the boy's home uh does does affect him that way and i think that is kind of a great way for bruce wayne to go out in this trilogy i think it's a very i think it's very true to the bruce that we see saw in the first two films that he could get lost in himself this way that he would become this much of an egomaniac and this it's, uh, you know, and the final 45 minutes of the movie is him trying to make up for that. Yeah. And, uh, and um, the notion of him with a broken I, back, rehabilitating himself, doing all the push-ups, escaping the prison, which is impossible to escape, like all of that, that's, uh, that's classic stubborn willpower Batman. Yeah. Uh, and something yeah. I didn't really appreciate as much on my first couple yeah. of viewings because... I don't know, like, you, you see his, his, his checkup. It seems so doctor. obligatory. Yeah. It's just felt like, okay, well, obviously... Training montage, you know. I, I couldn't really appreciate 
that for what it was at the time. Yeah. Um, Beyond yeah. also being, a, frankly, a fairly clever adaptation of the Lazarus Pit, which was obviously something that couldn't exist in the Nolan universe. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's not the most romantic journey for Bruce to go out on, but possibly the most fitting. I mean, he saves the city and puts Batman behind him and apparently live, begins living a new life in a relationship, so... Yeah, but what I'm saying is to even take him at that low is, I think, is fairly bold for an on-screen portrayal of Batman. Yeah, and it does tap into, you know, his obvious brokenness in a way that that no other film has before. Like, yeah, if you if you actually analyze this character, he is severely psychologically like damaged. And uh, you know, I think it concludes uh, the story of Bruce effectively and satisfyingly in a way that. I don't I, I, say I didn't know it was possible, but I think in a way that I still didn't expect, even now as I watch it. I think there's something about rewatching these films in such a short time period, especially so I rewatched. I mean, I watched Batman again legitimately four times in this process, and um, I watched at least the first half of The Dark Knight two or three times. But to see who he is now, um, or see what he became, it just I, I think in some ways it was the story to tell. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of my criticisms I have about him when I go on my sort of my memory of these films, I feel them less strongly when I watch it properly. Like seeing him sit down and put the thread together about Catwoman at the beginning, that is, you know, the detective stuff I'm asking for. It's not as much of it as I'd like, but it's there. Um, and in my mind, when he fights Bane again, he just, you know, he just punches Wait. him more, and he, he just happens to win. I didn't pick up on the fact he goes after the mask about four times. Yes, I... Yeah, I, I noticed that, at least on the second viewing, I think, yeah. years ago, but I... There, there needed to be a line somewhere in yeah. the pit. I mean, they talk uh, about. They, like, at least they, they do like, discuss his, his mask and like how it, it 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 deals with his pain or whatever. But it's yeah. it's too subtle, I think. Yes, because it's way too subtle. With Bane, you have such a cool concept because, I mean, throughout the first film, he beats everyone except you know maybe his trainer, and that's that's logical. And then he's even more experienced by the time Dark Knight rolls around, and he still physically overpowers everyone. And the story there is he meets someone who is able to philosophically, mentally challenge him, who throws his re- his yeah. rule book out the window, but still no physical challenge. And then you hit this this brick wall where Bane is easily his physical superior, but also a mental match for him. And it's like, well, what will you do now? And that's yeah. such a cool narrative idea. And I wish they'd really hammered home the idea of finding the weak spot. I mean, I know it's a little bit yeah. trite or whatever to be like, find the the weak point on the boss in the video game kind of thing. But it's, I think just a little bit more clarity needed to be there. Yeah. I, I would have appreciated, I mean, I think a movie that this, or a story this gets compared to a lot is the, uh, Batman returns. What's, what's the, what's the, uh, Batman, what's the fucking original returns. Yeah. The dark, that's the Frank Miller story, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I really actually despise a lot of that book. And so the movie, obviously, I didn't think much of um, naturally as a result. I know, but uh, I, 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 I really there are some pissed Batman fans listening to this. Yeah, 
It sucks. But I, uh, one thing I really did like, though, was that the mutant, first thing that fucking sucks about it, mm-hmm. fucking mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. The giant mutant that kills him the first time, Bruce is like, okay, how do I make, how do I even us the second time? And it's like, it probably doesn't need to be explicitly as laid out as it was in the book <laughs> in, the, in the movie. Yeah. But like, make it clear that he recognizes a weakness and it wasn't a coincidence. Like it really, it's very easy to watch this movie and for your reading to be, uh, he did a bunch of push ups, accidentally broke the mask, won the battle. <laughs> yeah. Like he and, just punched him more. <laughs> like... Yeah. And I, I think the story is much more that once Bruce got to a point where he was genuinely afraid for his city, he did have that little extra mental edge there and motivation that wasn't there the first time. Yeah. But it's also like his, you know, his suit damages the mask. Like yeah, the, it cuts the mask the blades, or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with, let's say, I don't know, the doctor or his random person that helps him. Um, his, his, uh, his Lazarus pit, Alfred, um, <laughs> the blind, the blind prisoner. Yes. Hashtag not my Alfred. Like says like the weak point of bane is the mask like right. some like something like it's just like a throwaway line like that yeah and and then maybe even a shot of him clearly targeting the mask yeah um because i i think i don't think there's anything wrong with that basic reading like i don't yeah. think you could i wouldn't criticize someone for being like that was dumb yeah i mean he just won this time yeah i mean they, they he won use... because he wasn't afraid anymore or he was only he was afraid in the right way yeah they're using it as a as a substitute for i mean traditionally he has this super strength serum venom that makes him so huge and whatnot that that is more physically obvious there's huge fucking tubes of green liquid attached to him yeah and batman goes for those and i don't blame them for doing it the way they did where instead it is a pain suppressing gas thing a great small touch with bane though when he's weakened like that is the way he just demolishes that column yeah um, like he misses with one punch and then he deliberately goes for another he's kind of like a rabid dog at this moment just throwing bombs and that's a really i always love that moment (laughs) yeah 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 um i like what you said about the that the fear for his city could be perceived as an edge because the um i mean bane tells him how victory's defeated him and then that blind prisoner says how because he doesn't fear death he's weak because yeah. because desperation yeah. allows you to go further and if you pair that with the fear of the city of gotham you could i mean you can almost read it as batman feels he's physically superior to everyone and he would view it as almost an underhanded tactic to go for the mask whereas when he's you know, when this is literally for the fate of the city, he's not, yeah. he'll do anything. He'll fight dirty and he will yeah. go for the mask. But I wish yeah. it was that little bit more explicit. But like I said, Nolan's getting sloppy with the details. I, I don't <laughs> think Batman begins Nolan makes that mistake. No, I would hope not. Um, I mean, maybe in his mind, oh, it's right there. And if you didn't pick up on that, you're just not paying attention. But I, I say bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I, um, for a movie that had Thomas Wayne in a flashback coming back down the tunnel, or going back down the well, mm. uh, I just don't accept that. You know, what you, like what did you make of those flashbacks? Because we see Harvey Dent uh, with Gordon's son, we see Thomas Wayne coming down the well, and we see there is a third one. Uh, the, uh, there's that one. The, oh, sorry. And there's the Jim, there's Jim Gordon and young Bruce Wayne as well. 
I actually I forget the Harvey one, but the other two It's, it's very brief. It's just when they're talking yeah. about Harvey that you see him as Two Face holding uh, Gordon's son. I think that those small clips are part of how this movie is more a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy than a story in its own right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of almost like metaphorical for that. Like, yeah. this is but, the, uh, this is the thread we're pulling here. <laughs> yeah, I thought the line with the coat that Batman gave right at the end, mm-hmm. which is his last line, and that's his last line, right? Yep. Felt a little awkward. Like it's like it's like we have too many words to say here. Say it as quickly as possible. Like, compare that to, it's not who I am underneath, it's what I do that defines me. Jumps off a building. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, just didn't have the pun- I just didn't have the punch, didn't have the delivery. I'm indifferent towards them. Yeah. Not necessary, but I'm also indifferent. I think, the, I like the, the Thomas Wayne one was a little bit more nuanced. Yeah. In the sense that it was kind of, it was a real quick cut. It was like two seconds of Thomas Wayne. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and it was um, sort of a flashback in the first place anyway, so. Yeah. That's the journey of Bruce in this movie, and I think it's pretty cool, honestly. It is a good um, journey. My because the first one of the first things I say about this is, and you know, we talked about it on the podcast how I think Bruce's journey declines, and I won't completely backtrack on that. I will say it is a good journey. I just think there are so many more interesting characters here that they've almost failed Bruce by not making it even more prominent. I don't want them to just lose Blake or anything like that, but in a film with so much going on and with Bruce literally taken out of the picture for quite a while, it just feels like large parts of this are a film that happens to have Batman in it. I mean, if you follow his his plotline, it is strong, but there's just so much going on in between that yes. I just feel that it, it slightly diminishes him. It does, but I think once again, similar to Dark Knight, my feeling on that is uh, I, I like his journey and I like the other journeys, so I don't care enough to complain about that. <laughs> Especially in a film where there's so much, so many way more nothing but <laughs> like negatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess we've actually been pretty positive on this podcast, but I think yeah. we both we both recognize the major flaws in this film. There's less attention to detail and there's less narrative care. I think those are quite damning things to say about any film. It's just I'm not going to harp on about them. Like we've said it, those are those are black marks against it. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking of interesting characters in this film, I'm gonna go down the list because I think okay. almost all of them, especially considering this is the last of the trilogy, it's worth touching on everybody. Alfred is really only in it for the first 45 minutes. Yeah, a couple of scenes. Uh, <laughs> I will say though he was great. I, I I kind of remembered the crying scenes a bit too much, and let he's that a, cloud. He's an ugly crier. Let's not hold that against uh, him. I like but, him. Uh, him. He's really that. great in those Bruce. first forty-five minutes. Yeah. And um, but that being said, this is part of the film that is choppier, where yeah. it almost has that Zack Snyder effect, where you f- almost feel like you're watching a, a forty-five minute music video. <laughs> Uh, or a 45-minute trailer instead of watching a coherent narrative unfold. Yeah, that first half um, hour is so choppy. The people talking at the party, even yeah. up to when Gordon goes down the sewer, and you have like a throwaway yeah. line by Blake about, so they went down there, and then you cut down to the sewer, and then you cut back yeah. up, and Blake is looking down. It's like, what was the point in that? Couldn't you have just and had him really, be there? <laughs> I think um, it's interesting in that... <laughs> 
the first half of the movie is so choppy, and then the second half of the movie is not less choppy, but at the same time very rushed. Yeah. And I, once again, like it kind of just gets back to my notion that like I they went for too much here. Like this was a four hour story. Like they didn't have any like nothing had time to just kind of happen. They're just rushing through these points. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's the editing, whether it's whether it was based on the script, yeah. in I general, can't tell. The the worst off. one is on the plane when uh, Littlefinger, Aiden Gillen, who I did not know was in this film until really? now, okay. because I guess the last time I saw it was before I watched any Game of Thrones or something. Um, okay. He asks Bane what will happen if he takes the mask off, and he goes, "It will be extremely painful." And then he's like, "You're a big guy," and then he says, "For you." And like when I say it like that, it sounds fine. But if you watch it, it's really disjointed it doesn't sound like they're actually talking to each other or they're using completely different takes or cutting lines or something it just it it hits the ear so wrong hearing the deliveries yeah. it's just rushed yeah. but um anyway i think uh kane I, I must say kane's pretty great um yeah. we still get some classic uh kane michael kane banter going mm-hmm. on he's like lightly chatting bruce at this point it, it's like the calm before the storm yeah. Before we realize how uh, bad things are going to get, um, I think the breakup scene feels very forced. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It feels even Bruce just dismissing him like that didn't really feel no. organic. No, no, no. Um, what do you think about him like some... revealing that Rachel didn't want to be with him, like, or that he waited that long, or because he he we see I... him burn the letter because he doesn't yeah. think Bruce could handle it that Rachel was going to marry Harvey and was not waiting for him at the end or whatever. Do you read that as just like, he's on paper, he figured he would sense. snap out of it sooner than he yes. did. And then he's like, well, this is all I've got left. <laughs> yeah. It, it felt like it, um, quote unquote, his trump card. It was that like, he held it in the back of his, you know, that was the last thing he was going to do. But if he was really desperate and he felt it was that desperate, I think also they kind of want to write Alfred out before shit went down, because otherwise that kind of gets kind of complicated. Yeah, what do you what do you do with him? Although like, the mansion kinda, like, Bane, is outside Bane of have... the city, so. But because they know that Bruce is Batman, like they go for Alfred. Clearly, they or they would go for Alfred, and I kind of remove. I think that kind of it was a good thing that they kind of removed that. I think he's very good up until the crying scenes. I don't. I also think when he came back for the funeral at the end. Well, that, that's the one. Like, that's the big crying scene. Like, yeah, the break, I, I the think... breakup is like forced, but decently enough acted, I would say. Yeah, the the funeral one feels really bad. Yeah. Um, like these, I feel like are two of the worst moments of Kane's acting th- career in terms of like talent and acting. And then he gets. I mean, I will actually. I'll say we'll save the epilogue for later. But uh, yeah, that's he doesn't get as much to do here. No, he's barely he, in it. He killed. He kills about ninety percent of it, and then the last ten percent. Um, yeah. Frank, frankly, I don't think he did a very good job of. Didn't stick the line. Uh, no. Um, Gary Oldman is back as James Gordon. This yeah. is a, the, the aforementioned pudgier, peacetime James Gordon. Softer. He's uh, bored. Yeah. Consumed by guilt. As uh, Matthew Modine and Brett Cullen laboriously explained to us in some. Awful exposition dialogue. His wife left him, took the kids to Cleveland. (laughs) He's got nothing now. Matt's going to get rid of him. him In the fall. Um, God, it's just straight up embarrassing. I felt so bad for those two fairly decent actors, those working actors like that. Shit, Um, guys, we haven't explained where Gordon's family are in the city. Um, Throw in a line at the beginning. You almost feel like that was just done to 
once again remove that element from the movie. Gordon, I, it was actually kind of an interesting story. It's like Gordon kind of being like this relic from a different era yeah. who is one dealing with his guilt over the Dent Act and the loss, the unnecessary loss of Batman, along with this notion um, that he's kind of, kind of holding on to the past a bit too much. Yeah. It parallels and, Bruce completely because they talk about how Batman was defeated by victory or how he's not needed anymore and he's needed now as Bruce. Uh, you get a similar thing with Gordon where, you know, they talk about how he's a war veteran, he's a war hero in peacetime. Like, he's kind of, he doesn't know what to do with himself now. Like, yeah. And you can, it's kind of understandable that everyone thinks he's overreacting to everything. Um, yeah. I love that um, Foley, Matthew Modine, is like so dismissive of, dismissive of him. Oh, this loony old man. Yeah, but then he he concedes to his knowledge as shit yeah. gets worse. And then ultimately, yeah. he ends up being inspired by him and arguably yeah. dies for him. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Gordon is... Uh, as I kind of mentioned to you in text form, I think that... I thought Gordon was dying down the sewer. That early? I thought you meant that he would conceivably die. Yeah, that's what, no, no, that's okay. what I was trying to tell you. I realized it didn't come through. Um, okay well informed but I just like I thought they set that up kind of like okay here's the one guy who is trying to make Batman come back who's trying to mm. alert, alert everyone to what's going on who's kind of seeing things unfold yeah. and he kind of gets off in a way that would kind of trigger Batman to come back it seemed like a very yeah, that would it, work. Seemed like the, <laughs> it seemed like the scenes were there I'm not saying that's the story I want them to tell I'm saying yeah. I was like I was on the edge of my seat the first time I was like holy shit, he's about to die, he's about to die, he's about to die. Um, <laughs> and then he gets away so easily. It's like, clumsily. Oh, like, uh, <laughs> although I do, I think it was interesting that uh, Bane was so dismissive of him, uh, like so unconcerned that Gordon was uh, escaped and had knowledge of their plans. I thought that was interesting. I think Bane's just casual, casual demeanor was really effectively conveyed in moments like that. Yeah, um, we'll talk about but that then, uh, more. But Gordon's pretty awesome. Again, uh, we get to see uh, him checked by his, by his rookie yeah. time and time. Yeah, I, I said how it's kind of like this merry-go-round of people adhering to the rules and then admitting that they're an obstacle and then someone else telling uh, them off for seeing it like that. And like he has reached that uh, point now where he admits yeah. that rules become a shackle that let the bad guys get ahead or whatever. Um, yeah. And um, and seeing him scramble around trying to keep things, trying to keep hope alive in uh, Gotham during the uh, totalitarian reign, totalitarian reign of Bacon was pretty uh, was fun. Although it, it always seemed kind of fruitless, but uh, seemed, and, but uh, I guess it, I guess it allowed them to keep the tabs on the the bomb, the atom bomb. Yes, the um, atom bomb. And an incredibly Gordon line is uh, clear the corners, rookie. When uh, yeah. when Blake's running to the hospital and he gets there thinking Gordon's been killed and it turns out he's yeah. got the drop on everyone. That That is very, yeah. very Gordon. Yeah. Um, and very Gary Oldman Gordon is like, he's got some yeah. monologues that only Gary Oldman could pull off in this movie. <laughs> um, like his speech to... Foley. to Blake in the apartment oh. the speech to Foley later on like I like it's like come on this isn't fucking Shakespeare Gary Oldman's Jim Gordon is a huge part of the Nolan trilogy and yeah. uh he's great he's just great yeah is he I, uh, is he ever bad at any point in these three aside from like lines like I've got to get me one of those 
No. And in some way, like I said, like his journey is in some ways more clear than anyone else's. It's a great, great, great portrayal of Gordon. Yeah. Like Alfred doesn't, One, doesn't stick the landing, but Gordon remains consistent throughout. Yeah. And um, as much as I love J.K. Simmons, I don't envision that working out as well. I think they'll rely too much on uh, J.K. Simmons' particular like ticks as an actor as opposed to going for a real character. Yeah, I don't think he's the right kind of actor for that. Uh, but again, not I, to mention I, it. I love him. Not as to mention well, it's but... taking him away from J. Jonah Jameson, which I know. Which what is, was um, he thinking? So like, uh, money. DC has to pay. Surely Marvel Mar- would have been able to pay him equally. Mar- no, Mar- Marvel. Marvel's pretty cheap. Marvel's pretty cheap. Yeah, I know. They're, but... They they kind of like HBO in that way, where it's like you get the honor of working for us. Yeah, and I guess <laughs> you can go ask Terrence Howard. Yeah, War- Warner Brothers uh, has has to pay to get people. It's kind of funny. While we just were talking about a couple of characters that have been there since the beginning, three, I guess four major characters pop up for the first time in this film. Anne Hathaway, Selena Kyle, uh, much like Joker, Harvey Dent, Jim Gordon, uh, in some ways Alfred, in some ways Batman. This is the definitive <laughs> Catwoman on screen. She's um, helped out by there being some pretty bad ones. <laughs> yeah. For sure, but, uh, but she is pretty. She's I pretty think she, when you think of some of the more fun portrayals of Catwoman in the comics, this is really like Anne Hathaway catching ca- capturing that, but a hundred times fold. That her not her first scene, but well, I guess toward the end of her first scene when she. Oops! No one told me it was uncrackable. I was yeah, like, <gasps> that turn. She does Michelle Pfeiffer's entire journey of Batman Returns with more grace in one sort of five minute uh, scene than she did in that whole film it's, it's yeah. great how she and i love how she turns like that and she uh, does it again later when yeah uh the the sort of setup at the bar where she gets into this fight the police arrive and then she screams ridiculously yeah. over the top and they all just run right by her it's great yeah it's so fun it's a great portrayal of uh internalized misogyny in men to always think that women need to be rescued and things like that and she rescues um, him. She kills Bane. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, Anne Hathaway has a ton of fun with this in the best way possible. Catwoman was kind of a, one of those, I think with a lot of characters, it, it's hard to picture them in the Nolan version of the universe, especially since that first one was so grounded yeah. in a lot of ways. But uh, they pull it off. This feels like someone who would totally exist in Gotham. You kind of want a Catwoman movie with her yeah. after this. I don't think we'll ever get that, but... Um, I I totally think they could have done Blake and Catwoman in a in a Gotham story on of smaller stakes. I know that it's hard to sell a Batman movie without Batman, but I think the combo of Anne Hathaway and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as stars would have been enough. Yeah. It wouldn't have done huge numbers, but I think that would have been good. Um, yeah, I love her as this like femme fatale, having so much fun with it, very physical, very graceful. You believe her as a person. She has agency she's the only woman with agent well she's the only like three-dimensional woman in this franchise not that there are many women in this franchise but when your previous options are rachel and rachel it's a character that exists for herself not for just for bruce um yeah and like that makes a huge difference you see her without bruce like you you see uh the scenes where the poor people or or the, the less privileged people are uh, ramsacking the houses. You see her... Because she talked about how she... 
you know wanted the rich to be less rich and for the the, no. the less privileged to get something and you see her looking at it and being like this isn't quite how i wanted it yeah and you can also see her like internalizing that like how much bullshit she's been spewing yeah. to like make <laughs> excuses for some of her choices and um yeah I think that was interesting, but uh, Tom, yeah. great job. Tom fucking Hardy plays Bane. Yes, he does. <laughs> does he ever? Does he the Bane? fuck ever? <laughs> um, I think we gotta talk about the airplane scene. Completely yeah, we... ridiculous. Can't imagine why this was the best plan, but you know, <laughs> it's, they pull it off. It's it's the definition of dumb fun, dumb in a good way. Uh, right? There's such a conviction to it that it's like you can so like you totally talk yourself. Like, oh yeah, I can see why they thought this was the thing to do. Yeah. And they actually filmed this. Like this isn't yeah. CG. I mean, Bane's fucking ridiculous, but uh, what a just voice. about every way. I'm get, I've gotten used to the voice after about twelve or fifteen viewings. Right. That, one of the, that first scene though in the movie theater all those years ago, I remember yeah. thinking. I couldn't understand Shit. him. I was like, what? What are you saying? Like I would get every fourth word. And then after um, about after that first scene, I was like getting most of it, and now I can um, I can pick all of it out. But not just the accent, but sort of the ADR mixing of it, like it's so clearly added in post. Um, yeah, that that's my bigger issue. Like the volume so... of it compared to everyone else in the room. I mean, that's my biggest issue is that it sounds like he's in a different room the entire time, and that's always a distraction. That's always something. It's, I mean, it stands out in a normal movie when it's ADR. To have an entire character based on ADR is kind of ridiculous. We should have gone back and looked at that Comic-Con footage before they did the ADR. Yeah, you told me the, about this, so I've never seen it. It was, it was the, definitely how they originally intended it to be Bane, but man, you could like if you think this Bane was, <laughs> was hard to understand, like the original Bane footage was, you, if you couldn't understand it, like, not a single word. Like this seemed like it was a catastrophe in the making. Yeah. Um, I, I remember all the trailers hitting and everyone quoting like "I'm Gotham's Reckoning" and and uh, all of that kind of thing. I'm Gotham's uh, Reckoning. But, uh, Gotham's Reckoning. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, do not do not do Bane impressions. Do not do Bane impressions. Um, yeah, but who wasn't for about <laughs> six solid months after this came out? Um, I remember what really adopted the dark. I was born in it. Molded by it. <laughs> do not do bane impressions. Um, um, I remember what a hit this character was in the immediate aftermath. It almost feels like it's been forgotten now, but I remember the number of people that were like parodying it or or adopting it as their new cult hero, or just how prevalent Bane was for yeah. six months to a year afterwards. And now it's almost been reduced down to just oh yeah, the voice. But I think if you push past that, there is actually... He's doing quite a lot here for what ostensibly seems like just a large man with a silly voice. So I think the big thing of Bane that really needs to be discussed is the fact that he's doing this all for Talia all along. Does mm -hmm. that make him more complete? Does that undercut him? What does that do to the Bane character? Because for the first two hour, two and a half hours of this movie you have a completely different idea about who he is, yeah. or at least about his motivations. He seems um, like a unique individual, like a unique force with a strong vision, and then it turns out he's yeah. a soldier. Or worse than that, he's a lovesick puppy dog. <laughs> like, and for a, a woman that... Uh, doesn't give a shit kinda, about him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she um, says she's she does, a little fucked but... up. 
I think that to me was the bigger issue. That was the biggest issue with Talia for me was how it kind of seemed to undercut Bane a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just because Bane's either. the villain we have, we're spending all of our time with, not because I don't yeah. think Talia can be interesting. You start to see the cracks emerge though when he sees Bruce's back and he's he says how it's impossible, and this is a person with like complete conviction in everything. Like he is a hundred percent convinced Bruce will not escape this prison, and even yeah. if he does, he will be in no shape to do anything. And then you see that start to dissolve there. And then the ultimate reveal that he's actually just Talia's puppet. But but the weird part is, by that point, he has Talia, so he should know Batman's already back, because Talia's seen Bruce. Uh, uh, yep, there's a plot hole for you. I was, I, was, I was watching out for those this time, just to see if there was a weird issue there. Maybe, she, yeah, didn't, so, maybe she didn't deign it important enough to tell him. Yeah, but I think... I think this notion of... Bane doing all of this to fulfill Ra's al Ghul's destiny felt very hollow as it was happening. So it makes sense. Like it didn't really feel genuine when he said things like that. But I kind of like this idea of this false prophet, this false god, yeah, coming in and uh, almost what basically single-handedly destroying a city. Yeah, it was kind of impressive in that way. Hundred percent. I mean, the stereotype of Bane, thanks to that movie and thanks to cartoons and games for a long time, is he's just this huge, crazy, roided-up dude. But yeah. a bigger part of the character is he's meant to be like incredibly intelligent. And yeah. uh, Nightfall, which this is slightly based on, you know, he spends a year plotting Bruce's downfall and like whatnot, and then they've adapted it here where he... You know, this plan to cripple Gotham is almost airtight, like, the level to which he's taking care of everything, you know, he kills the mayor, neutralizes the police, bankrupts Bruce, breaks Batman's back, there's the nuclear bomb, everything. Like, it, 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 it's almost there, but if not for the fact he didn't just kill Bruce, he would have done it. I think Tom Hardy conveyed the physicality, the yeah. intelligence very well. I think he turned what should have been a cartoon character into... Uh, Somewhat believable, <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds. Yeah. I also I love the look of Bane. I love how yeah. it's like his military strength. commando and also sort of ragtag a bit as well. But yeah, more particularly, I liked how like with his upper body. Oh yeah, yeah, more, he's not just like more, perfect muscle. Like he's like thick, you know. Like he's. he's it felt more for like. Practic- like practical strength as yeah, opposed yeah, yeah, yeah. to van- vanity muscles. Like you uh, see his abs at one point. Like he doesn't have abs. Like at one point you see him and you can yeah. see the sort of like folds in his stomach. But then when he yeah. stands up tall, he's just so like broad and like you yeah. look at that first shot where he stands up. I remember everyone's reaction of like, dude. <laughs> but like it, it, like it's it says a lot about his character that he trains for strength, for real strength, not yeah. for to look imposing. That's I, I I just like I like those touches I like things like that I think yeah. those things are some of the details that didn't get right yeah. and but, like um, all the little touches he gives him such as like he puts his hand on Daggett's shoulder yeah. uh, sort of the back of his hand just on his shoulder just a small yeah. little thing like that um, yeah. holding his lapels as he walks while a little bit silly it, it, it's a good little nuance that's a lovely lovely voice. Yeah. Um, that was a good little, I, like, it was a little moment there that there's, like, for some reason, this person born in um, a prison yep. that barely can see the sunlight would be this, like, classy gentleman at the same time who yeah. has appreciation for the finer things. Um, 
I don't know if that holds together. <laughs> like, would he be exposed to any of those finer things? Uh, would he would he know what a young voice, what a good voice sounds like? Has he heard singing before? <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Um, but uh, he certainly his intelligence is explained in the comics as he literally just read everything when he was in prison. But yeah. that prison doesn't look like it's got books. Yeah. You know. They don't need to explain that away, no. so that's a nitpick. But uh, a pretty great performance, I think, the Talia reveal undercuts him. It does. And makes him a little bit less infamous. I think this is a solid... You gotta go number four. Like, he's behind Ra's al Ghul, he's behind Joker, he's behind Two-Face. This is... Yeah. It's a shame. The end, like, he's the he's the forgotten one, almost. I mean, I know he's, like, yeah. iconic. Uh, well okay for a uh, while he seemed like he was iconic yeah you know he's the left he's the one that's left out almost uh and yeah. it's a really good performance i like his detached brutality um yeah search him then i will kill you and yeah. all that kind of thing like just killing without looking and just his utter disregard for people he's fighting and how he's almost toying with bruce in their fight which Especially, is, I mean, oh, yeah, the first one. Yeah, I think some of the most brilliant storytelling. So well shot. I love uh, how uh, his sort of henchmen they look somewhere between uncomfortable because they know that Bane is whipping his ass, and then they almost go to disbelief when he actually does it, even though they seem to be sure he was going to. And there's no music; it's all just the the sound effects of of them punching each other a lot and he's narrating it like he's trash talking him while he's fighting and how he does seem to be toying with him inviting attacks and then when he's actually like all right enough of this shit he caves in the mask (laughs) breaks his back you know takes the mask off and drops it like that that still image and the video of it is one of the most enduring of the film probably the backbone of this story john blake it's kind of like, this is Robin Begins in a lot of ways. Well, uh, after spending so much time saying how much he doesn't care for Robin, how he doesn't want Robin to ever appear in any of his films, Christopher Nolan did Robin, and he did quite a good job of it. Um, yeah. I don't, I can't in my head plot out the rise of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, as it were, from, oh, that kid from Third Rock from the Sun, to, I don't know if he's A-list now, but he's certainly a he's top... Like yeah, B plus list. Like, where did this fall on the timeline? I think he had arrived, so, but this sort of solidified it. I don't know. After Third Rock from the Sun, he really made his name in a bunch of indie films. Uh-huh. That was his big deal. Uh, like Mysterious Skin, Brick, are the two that come immediately to mind, and he really gained a lot of credibility that way. Sure. I think his big commercial breakout was was really uh, 500 Days of Summer. Oh, of I course, think that's when people course. started looking at him a little bit more like... Hey, who is this guy? Like, yeah. kind of like he is he more than just a really good actor, and and is he uh, can he carry a know, film? Can he? Yeah. And then I think, if anything, he's probably gotten sidetracked by taking so many supporting roles, like in Inception, yeah. like in The Dark Knight Rises, yeah. uh, The Lookout. I saw that in theaters. That was a really good movie. But again, it's a small movie. He had a bizarre. I forgot about that. He was in the first G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah, uh, because he's friends with Channing Tatum. Yeah. Um, uh, that's literally came, why he's in it. <laughs> yeah. Looper came out right after Dark Knight Rises, oh, yeah, but again, yeah. smaller scale. Then he goes to like Lincoln, which is back to a supporting role in a big movie. And he keeps like going back and forth a little bit. I think he just doesn't do, he doesn't have a clear 
rise to stardom that you would expect from someone that's talented, maybe for reasons I'm guessing only he knows, whether it's by choice to just he just picks roles he's interested in. But um He certainly does seem to do a lot of that where he, he's got yeah. his what is it, hit record or whatever it is thing. Yeah. His, his indie uh, movement and like stuff like Don John, yeah. which is entirely yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, this was it's kind of it was kind of weird to go back and as I was watching this, I'm like, God, it's so weird to see him in a supporting role, but he, t- he takes a lot of supporting roles. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this is Robin Begins. He's great. He effortlessly steals yeah. focus from like everyone he's on screen yeah. with. Yeah, it's a little shady that he's one of the few people seemingly to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman, especially for his reasons for it, but I guess it makes it look thematically interesting. Well, that would be a nod to Tim Drake, who famously figured out Nobody cares. Yes, they do. Um, yeah, his journey from like orphan to cop to detective to jaded with the justice system and throwing his badge away to embracing the vigilante lifestyle that Gordon presented him, and he was like disgusted with, and he sort of dresses Gordon down for it, uh, and then he ultimately ends up being Batman. He's great throughout the whole movie. He gets to interact with basic almost everyone besides maybe Bane. I don't think you need to go into too much of it. It's uh, He's pretty much a good guy the entire time, but he basically has to see all the temptations. He has to see all those hard decisions. and um, Just a good guy. He does as much as anyone else in this film to save the day. Yeah, and I like how kind of Bruce is basically trying to spare him at the very end. Which is something kind of he set, often does with his Robins. Yeah, there's a lot of fan push support for... Um, a Nightwing spinoff or something like that yeah. with Gordon it, Levitt. It's too late now because they've dismissed... Oh, it's too late now, but it's been too long. But, yeah, uh, they've dismissed DC. the Nolan-verse as well, almost. Even if you didn't get Gordon Levitt, just follow this blueprint. This is how you make Robin yeah. interesting as an adult character who isn't a small boy running around in a multicolored costume with a yeah. psychopath. <laughs> yeah, this is more, uh, Robin done right. Yeah. Um, Morgan Freeman... Before back to I watched it, Bush I Fox. forgot he was in it. But I think he's he's fairly involved in the movie. He is, um, more than I remembered. Yeah, he gets in some quips, gives some dev- devices to Batman. He's a big part of the the closing stretch to save the day. I'd say like, he's, it's a pretty good final showing for Lucius Fox. The fact that he's once, like he progressively seems to become a bigger and bigger deal in terms of his importance to saving the day. Although he, I guess he fails miserably here. Talia Al Ghul. Yeah. Played by Marianne Cotillard. Um, Good actress. Very good actress. actress. Something about her performance here, all throughout, I'm not into. A little wooden. Her death Um, scene, especially. It's like borderline out. And what's funny is that I think she did do a very powerful, if odd, disturbing performance in Inception, so it's not like no one can't. Yeah. She's so brilliantly monstrous in that. The way they present her and Bruce's like love story, it feels Weird. yeah, like it feels like they're trying to give it more importance than it has when they establish they've only met twice and yeah. the first time he insulted her. Yeah. I, uh... And then he sleeps with her and it's like loving and by the fire and they're talking about running away and it's like, What are you doing here? Like if there was supposed to be a history you haven't conveyed it and otherwise yeah. you are overplaying the romance really yeah. just to make the twist slightly more shocking even though you can see to make that that knife cut a little bit deeper but uh i mean basically if this notion that if bruce wayne's trying to get out he's got blake for batman and he's got 
Miranda for Bruce. Like, Miranda will be the new Bruce. That's basically what's going on here. So she basically, because she's Tali the whole time, she's just kind of doing whatever it takes to please him and push him along in a direction that is helpful for the final goal. Um, And she's, like, ratting out on them at the end during the revolution. She's throwing out lines casually like restoring balance or whatever <laughs> restoring justice yes uh, probably should tip bruce off but you know oh well but uh yeah i i think this was the misstep which is kind of tragic yeah but um i like i like the way the um like that bruce has told the story of the child that got out of the prison while you can kind of see it coming, it is still cool seeing it presented in the two different ways. Like the way where yeah. Bruce is assuming it's Bane, and then the ultimate yeah. reveal that Bane was there protecting yeah. the young Talia who got out. Yeah, I think that was uh, kind of brilliant, actually. Yeah. Um, despite every, almost everything else about that storyline being a, a failure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, she hates her father, but she's trying to honor him by doing his plan better. It's a bit unclear. There's a bunch of other smaller roles that I don't think are worth really mentioning. But, uh, I have a, a friend who's of... oddly attached to the Foley character, which I, mean, I didn't like, get. I didn't think it I was... mean, like, I hate when my friend's dads die on screen. It's sad, but it didn't <laughs> affect me that much. Um, yeah, I, I didn't Like, that's it. what it feels like. It feels like your friend's dad dying on screen. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I, um... <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Like his monologuing in the car is so heavy-handed. The, the party at the beginning, as we said, is like really uh, bad. Blood. Um, anyway, all right. Um, Murphy pops up as Scarecrow, the judge from the Kangaroo Courts. Pretty fun cameo. Probably the right decision to limit it to that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think Killian's so good as Scarecrow, you can't help but want a little bit more from him. Liam Neeson. Uh, you may have heard of him. Pops back up in a dream as Raz al Ghul. Now, a common criticism that I have seen of the scene is, what the fuck, there's exposition being delivered in a dream sequence. If you watch the scene, it's clearly Bruce, like, putting, yeah. guessing at what's going on and putting it together in his head, and it's manifesting itself in a dream. Raz, the Raz al Ghul dream, the dream Raz al Ghul does not present any new information. Bruce talking to a mirror and convincing himself of something. It's not yeah, yeah, yeah. Raz al Ghul coming in and presenting information. Like I, that criticism is silly. There's so many things to criticize this film about. That should not be one of them. Um, my boy Nestor pops back up as the mayor, dies. He, he kind of he gets the commissioner lobe treatment, gets a couple yeah. scenes, he's dies. Got, he's got tickets to see our boys kick ass, <laughs> and he dies. Uh, Rapid City, right? Is that Rapid like the City. Flash or something? The, um, the no, flash? that's Central City. I don't know where Rapid okay. City is. Right, Please um, write on our Facebook who that is. William Devane shows up as the president. As you know, a nuclear bomb and a city being taken hostage by someone would get more than just the Gotham City police involved. I guess it was kind of believable that they wouldn't know how to handle the situation, but... It seems so ridiculous at the same time. And Aiden Gillen pops up as a CIA agent. Wikipedia is claiming he has a name. I respectfully disagree. I also disagree. <laughs> His name is idiot CIA agent. His name is CIA uh, operative. Uh, he's so incompetent, but guess what? The CIA fucks up all the fucking time, so I don't oh, care. Um, they are coming for you. <laughs> yeah, and they fucking are dumb at it. Uh, the board member that was calling... Roots, a rotten apple, and Batman Begins yeah, did not yeah. show up in the Dark Knight. 
But first, pops up here for a very memorable uh, role as crotchety board member. Yeah, um, as uh, Christopher Nolan's uncle, I think. Oh, is it really? Okay. I guess that's uh, notable. But yeah, that's that's the cast, pretty much. I, I suppose. Don't you don't, don't care, care about Daggett. Daggett? You don't care about Stiver? You don't care no. about Tom Conti? Juno Temple? I don't care about Pavel either. I, I just don't. Like, they're, they're just tools. I, let Bre- I like Brett Cullen. I like Chris Ellis. I like Daniel Sanjata. Like, there's just a bunch of people, recognizable faces, have a couple lines here, but they're really not uh, all that important. I like Thomas Lennon. I think the thing we didn't really focus on much here was Occupied Gotham, and what a shithole of a story that is. You can't tug at it. It falls apart. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a disaster yes. in a lot of ways, right? Like, nothing about it really rings true or feels real it uh not i think the biggest issue is that they don't have enough time to really let occupy let us know what occupied gotham is like and you really just have to guess it that's Um, that's where it should have been a miniseries like yeah give me a whole episode of occupied gotham (laughs) and i think you really one this reveals two things that this nolan universe wasn't meant to up the stakes to this degree also, like the really bad stuff that happens in Begins and Dark Knight happens all very suddenly, and you're all you're like constantly have to react. Like it doesn't get ridiculous in Begins until the very end with the train stuff. It doesn't get ridiculous with the Joker until the hospital, really, which is when Gordon says, uh, "We need the fucking National Guard." Like the stakes can't be too high, otherwise it's not. It can't be just a Batman story anymore. It doesn't make sense. So while I love it when people suicidally run into battle like those cops did, mm. that moment felt so forced. Um, it didn't really feel like... It looks nice. Yeah, I think that stuff just felt so forced and um, it felt like a means to an end. It felt like we want this revolution sense at the end, like, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't yeah. feel like very earned. Bane seemingly talking to the city, but then it's his men who are like under his control who are doing a lot of the stuff. But yeah. then, but then talking about Gotham as if they are Gothamites, it's it's all very odd. Yeah. And like, what is his revolution really? And I know he doesn't ever actually believe in it. And well, he, I don't know, maybe he does believe in some of what he's saying. But I know he's he's feeding them hope to make it yeah. all the worse for them. But it's all just a little bit too thin. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, like it's there, and like when you watch it fifteen times in a row, like I have, like I I can like I understand everything going on right. So now. when you're but, a crazy person, yeah, yeah. Um, but no one normal should really buy into this at all. No. Some other notable things: uh, Bruce doesn't survives a nuclear explosion. Well, he fixed the autopilot, you see. So yeah, um, and escaped with five seconds. Um, yeah, and like the way nuclear explosions work. You know, you're good as long as it's like a little bit out to sea. There's no radiation, ah. there's no tidal waves. It's fine. I mean, do you have a refrigerator nearby? <laughs> Can is there a refrigerator for you to jump into? You're good. Do you think he just should have been dead? Would have been bold. Would have been bold. <laughs> Would have been uh, fucking bold. <laughs> Would have been bold. If he died, I don't want him to die in a plane in the distance. I, I'd at least want a tight camera close up of him in the cockpit. I also really like the idea that we never see him in Italy. Uh, Alfred just smiles and walks away. So it's kind of like that Inception ending where it's kind of, you write your own ending. Like, I don't think they need to hit the nail on the head quite that hard. 
But, and like uh, the, the little touch that they talk about, everything's accounted for except a pair, a set of pearls, and then you yeah. see Selena is wearing them at the yeah. at the restaurant. But like you could have, like you could have left that line in and still just get a. And just, if you just take away that shot of Bruce and Selena there, I think has a bit more magic to it. Yeah, I know. I just I think that's a nice small touch that she's wearing. Them. Yeah. The soundtrack know. is relentless. Like we haven't talked about the soundtrack in either of the previous two. I guess it doesn't really bear that. It, it it's well the soundtrack is good in those first two some iconic music, but this one is just it gets unbearable at times. Just this ever escalating drum beat. So, that's Batman. That is Batman. That's, uh, that is no one's Batman. That is. How how you feeling? Uh good. I think it's easy to take them as just three films that exist and say, you know, two of them are really, really good. One of them is less good. Uh, and talk about, oh man, Joker's great and oh, Bane was memorable and whatnot. But analyzing them as we have, as big giant nerds, I really respect how well they fit together as a trilogy, even though Nolan talked about both films, he wasn't sure he was coming back. And he did talk about how he doesn't like the notion of leaving dangling threads and wanting each film to be a, uh, an individual experience. But there's so much there in terms of through lines, in terms of uh, Raish's original plan, his original, a lot of his dialogue, his motives, how big an influence he is, how big an influence Harvey is on the third film, Jim Gordon's journey, Bruce's journey. So much is there. Uh, how you can boil it all down to one word for each one with fear, chaos, and I guess revolution or rise or whatever. Just all these little touches, and it's like a good journey from the creation of Batman to him being tested, to him then being broken but ultimately triumphing. Uh, you know, I don't think we will see Batman films this good again in the near future. I mean, Ben Affleck's quite a director, as it turns out. He's not Nolan. He's not Nolan. He's not Nolan. Uh, maybe, you know, someone else will come along and decide to do a Batman film in the future. But for now, I, I can't imagine films that are this good. Live action ones, anyway. Yeah, like, his work here is incredible. And it will stand the test of time. Definitely. And I think it already is. I think this kind of... I think especially The Dark Knight, even though I think... We're probably both at the point of being like Batman Begins is like one A, Dark Knight is one B. You know, correct me if you obviously you don't feel the same way. But uh, uh, I, I'm slightly stronger about it than you, but I won't fight you on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I think the Dark Knight, especially, will stand the test of time as something kind of uh, bigger uh-huh. than itself, bigger than the trilogy. Yeah, uh, and they, they I s- think I think people are going to watch that in 50 years and they're like, wow, they don't. They, they don't make movies like that anymore. Yeah. And they, um, simultaneously, they've kind of allowed us or said that we can demand better out of superhero films. Yeah. Uh, but and, they also have ruined superhero films in some ways and the film industry generally with reboot mania and dark mania. But, so you know, that that's a legacy. That's they, an impact. <laughs> he, he inspired copycats. Like, he inspired a bunch of copycats and hockey bats. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like it's not his fault. I'll take all that no one's fault. But uh, yeah. Josh I Trank think... is like, what's the difference between you and me? What gives you the right? And no yeah. one's like, yeah, I'm not wearing hockey pads. I think 
when it's all said and done, I think, especially DC is so far off the beat track right now. Yeah. Like, they, um, they're so lost yeah. that it seems impossible for them to ever get back to anywhere near this. Yeah. Um, and I expect the Batman to be a solid movie. I expect to think it's pretty fun. I think Affleck knows enough about what he's doing to make it an enjoyable movie. Sure. But it's not going to be this. And I think that's in part because the well is so poisoned in that universe. It's crazy because this was always treated as in this universe, Superman doesn't exist in these films. There can be no green lantern. There can be no flash. There can only be Batman in these Nolan films. Like they brought out a green lantern film. After Batman Begins? Some, uh, somewhere between Batman Begins. Yeah, okay, so after Dark Knight. So between, even. yeah. Uh, so, you know, they were making films, but when Marvel make their, you know, huge organized universe, DC decide to do the same, and it's crazy because they have these three films that are so iconic and so beloved and so critically well-received, did so, such good business, and they've almost handicapped themselves with it because, one, they can't get out from under it, in that they're trying to make everything like it and it's falling on its ass. But two, they can't use it almost. I mean, I think they could. I think they could retroactively bootstrap a universe onto those films and treat them as canon, but I don't know. I don't think, um, I don't think they should. They probably shouldn't, but like, if they want to do this, and I, I don't know if they should uh, make a universe, it, it's odd they've got these almost three disallowed goals, to use a sports metaphor. So I guess my... Not so much counter, but what I take that is, I think Batman as a character represents what comic book movies should be going for, which is that there should be right now, you know, there should be the Lego Batman, there should be the, the cartoon Batmans, there should be a comedic live action version of Batman, there should be a television show that doesn't have Batman, there should be a super serious Batman. They're just doing them all, like, they're just doing some of the key ones so terribly. Like, it's great that we have all these simultaneous interpretations of Batman going on at the exact same time. Like the killing joke, um, the sixties, Batman Lego, Batman, super serious, you know, Batman versus Superman and Gotham are all going to happen within a span of a year. They're all radically different interpretations of Batman. And I don't think all of them suck. It's just more like none of them are really connecting right now. But I, I don't think, I think, one, I absolutely think they should leave this alone forever. Leave these three films in a box, let them exist in their box. Sure. But I think they misread the market a little bit uh, with this super, I don't think, well, one, they interpreted the success of the Nolan films as we must be serious all the time. Yes, blah, that's, blah, blah, that's blah, blah, the blah. big thing. Like... Yeah. One, as we've proven throughout, the Nolan films are not serious all the fucking time. Nope. Two, they should have gone, if anything, further away from that. Yeah, I think they should have really embraced the trippiness, ridiculousness of DC, which is less grounded than Marvel. Yeah, Marvel, even though it's like ostensibly, in some ways, more colorful and like, well, in terms of the films, they're more colorful, they're more overtly comedic, whatnot. If you look at the source material, DC is like ridiculous primary colors and gods and aliens and craziness. And Marvel yeah. appealed because it was more realistic, and that's how they took over from yeah. them, and it's now swung back the other way. But Man of Steel, <laughs> like they, they tried to Dark Knight Superman, 
who could not be less appropriate of a character to apply that dark setting to. Uh, and we're not going to talk uh, about Man of Steel, but on our next episode, we are going to talk about Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad as the kind of, you know, the mini Batman films that we have had most recently. Mike will yeah. watch Suicide Squad. Yeah. That will happen, I've people. Agreed. I've agreed. Man of Steel had a great trailer, though. Gotta give it that. Did have a good um, trailer, but like... You knew it was going to be shit based on that trailer, but it was a great trailer. Yeah, yeah but um, I think I think it's great that in an age where everyone is diving in on the cinematic universe side of storytelling, which there's inherently nothing wrong with that kind of storytelling, but when everyone's doing it, yeah. it presents issues. The Transformers cinematic universe. It's, it's nice that we can look back to something relatively recent and be like, hey, these are just three really focused movies telling one story over the course of three movies, you don't, nothing else is required of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love diving all in on the Marvel movies. Like, don't get me wrong, but the fact that everyone's going in that direction. Well, they earned troubling. it. Like, I think even when they set out with their grand plan of, Hey, let's get to Avengers. I don't think even they dreamed it would get like this and what everyone has done since. And everyone said this won't work before Iron Man one. There is no way anyone said, yeah, that'll work. And DC and others have just... They want to skip to that point where it all comes together. And they want to they want to skip to the end almost. Marvel earned it over several years. Like, for oh, better terrible. or worse... Oh, with terrible movies. Um. Yeah, arguably. But they at least put the effort in slowly and across so many films. And DC are basically like, how do we get to Justice League as quickly as humanly possible while superheroes are still popular? And they should just really just make good films starring these characters and then worry about that later yeah i i think honestly i i'm just kind of grateful that this exists yeah despite all of its flaws despite all of its um fucked up stories despite its fascist leanings despite (laughs) its poor metaphor (laughs) that easily was misinterpreted and rightfully misinterpreted as right-wing propaganda despite all that shit i am grateful for these movies, I'm grateful for Christian Bale as Batman, by yeah. far the best on-screen portrayal yeah. of a serious Batman, and grateful for the best Alfred. I am grateful for the best Joker. I am grateful for the best Harvey Dent. I am grateful for the best Bane. I am grateful for the best Ra's al Ghul. I am grateful uh, for the best Jim Gordon. I am grateful for the best Lucius Fox. Yeah. No one can take grateful. these away from I'm us. I am grateful for the best Robin. I am grateful for the best and only Rachel Dawes. Um, <laughs> she wins uh, unanimously. Yeah. That we will always have these three movies. We yeah. will. And if nothing outside of them will come back and contaminate them. Yeah. Their no matter what happens with there. people rolling their eyes and going, oh, superhero yeah. films, we have yeah. these. Their flaws are apparent. Their flaws deserve to be pointed out. Their flaws deserve to be vilified for if they're not your thing like i think there's perfectly good reasons to not like any of these movies to think they're bad honestly yeah. especially the last two i i though am, am grateful yeah. and uh it was a pleasure to watch them back with you it's a pleasure knowing we will probably spend the rest of our lives uh texting about these movies as we watch, <laughs> we watch them time and time again yeah as we've been doing for the last like four years to this point yeah. uh, we occasionally will just start texting each other about these movies <laughs> They're fantastic, yeah. and uh, even even when they're not fantastic, they're still fantastic. So much of the Dark Knight Rises means so much to me, um, mm. which is insane. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that's another, like, like, they are so culturally important. They are big events in a way that most of these other films uh, aren't. 
I mean, like, I'll, like, um, like, I it takes me back to when I was still living in Australia, and I woke up at nine nine o'clock in the morning to go see a reasonably priced version of it. And it reminds me of leaving the theater being completely fucking underwhelmed. It reminds me of thinking this wasn't good until the closing montage. But it also reminds me of watching it 15 times that went that following like Christmas time period and thinking like, oh, I finally understand this movie. And uh, and now it takes me back to watching it the last couple of days and just being like, so much of this movie means so much to me. So much of this trilogy means so much to me. Uh, so thank you. Nolan Universe Batman. Yes. But you're gone now. All hail the Snyderverse. Uh, we will be back next week with Batman vs Superman, with Suicide Squad, uh, and at some point between then and Christmas, we will be doing a non-Batman, non-X-Men, a real-world podcast talking about Christmas films. Maybe we'll throw in some Batman animated series, Christmas with the Joker, maybe that terrible X-Men Christmas episode. We'll see what happens. Uh, so look forward to that. If you don't give a shit about X-Men or Batman, but then how would you even hear this? I don't know. Uh, so that is all to come. We are The Real World. You can find us at Michael Matt on SoundCloud, uh, Real World Podcast on YouTube. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're, we're on Stitcher. God damn it. Uh, Mike pollutes Reddit with us. Like, it's, how, it's how we get hits. We quite frank. Yeah. We, we've peaked, basically, and we're going to do some Snyder, and then at some point after Christmas we will try and carve our way through some of those animated films. There are a lot of them, uh, and yeah. the various animated shows. We're not going to hit everything, but we will try and give everything at least a few minutes of mention. Um, yeah, and uh, I'll be kicking off a series of articles or columns... I guess for the next four years, hopefully not eight years, uh, basically films to watch in the time of Trump. And the very first article will be on the dark Knight rises. Uh, don't interpret that as like, I am saying, Oh my God, real life is just like the dark Knight rises. No. Um, but it was interesting to see a lot of the rhetoric similarities in the rhetoric in both. And, uh, but uh, yeah, look, be on the lookout for that. I'm going to boldly, without being able to follow through on this necessarily, say look out for more written content on EnterTheRealWorld.com. Maybe even something from me finally making good yeah. on that threat to be yeah. part of this actual operation. Yeah. Uh, but for now, it's been the Tape Crusaders. It's been the Real World. It's been the Nolan trilogy. Strap in for some Snyder. Uh, there's going to be some gloomy stuff. There's some ladies called Martha. Uh, Gotham's right next to Metropolis. Oh, fuck, that's going to be difficult. But yeah, uh, Christmas is coming. Woo. And we're going to watch an entire film based around the idea that it's kind of weird that Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent's mothers have the exact same first name. 